turn to the book of Habakkuk. The book of Habakkuk. And we'll be in chapter number two. The bad news is we got the really good stuff last week. <laughs> We're back to judgment again tonight. But, uh, you know, you, you learn about God's grace. You, you, it's, it's, it's a two-sided coin. God is also righteous and holy, and, and uh, he expects uh, us to be. So uh, that's sort of the lesson here as we, as we look at uh, chapter number two. Uh, beginning now in verse number five, but we want to go back to where we left off in verse number four, and, and there's that magna carta of the Christian faith uh, that the just shall live by faith. I mean, we're to live by faith. Uh, remember how uh, the Lord started that uh, first verse in, in answering, he's, remember Habakkuk went up on uh, the rampart and he he, he prayed and he said, I'm not leaving here until I get an answer from the Lord. And he got his answer from the Lord. And uh, Habakkuk couldn't understand why the Lord would use a, a wicked nation like Babylon to judge a, a lesser wicked nation like Israel. And, and uh, he's about to give him an, his answer. And, and I think basically what he's going to say is everybody, everybody is unholy. Everybody to some degree uh, uh, deserves judgment. And so what... He's going to tell him, and then he begins in verse number four, and he says, Behold the proud. And what, he, what he's saying, Habakkuk, I want you to observe the proud. I, and, I, and, I, and the reason I want you to observe the proud is I don't want you to be like the proud. You're not like the proud. You're the just. And how should the just live? They don't live by sight and human reason uh, based upon their self-centered desires. They live by what? The just shall live by faith. Faith in what? Faith in God Almighty. Faith that in time, everything's going to work out for your good. Faith in time that everything that uh, God does will work out for good. And you've got to live by faith. You've got to trust me. And, and if you do, you, you know, you're going to find out that, that uh, everything that I do is right. And so Habakkuk had questioned God. And you've got to admire him for having the guts to question God. But God's going to set him straight here, kind of like he set Jonah straight. Uh, Habakkuk's not as rebellious as Jonah, so he's not going to have to live a few days in the belly of a well, but, but God is going to set him straight here. And so he tells him to behold the proud, and then as we come to verse number five, he actually gives Habakkuk a good look at what it is to be a proud person. And we want to look at this and make sure uh, we're not uh, living like these proud people. And the first thing he says is, indeed, Observe, behold the proud, because he transgresses by wine. Now, how do you transgress by wine? You don't trans transgress by drinking wine. You transgress by doing what? By drinking too much wine. Uh, the Bible doesn't say anything bad about it. And I'm not here to, to argue that point, but I'm telling you what the Bible says. The Bible doesn't say anything bad about drinking wine. The Bible says bad things about uh, people who get drunk, who transgress the wine, who drink too much wine. But that's not the only thing he, he's talking about here. He's using wine symbolically to represent all worldly pleasures. God gives us worldly pleasures. Uh, the Bible says that God gives wine to make man's 
heart Mary. So wine has a purpose. God, God created wine. So God gives us pleasurable things. But uh, how do we transgress those pleasurable things, those worldly pleasures, is when we abuse those worldly pleasures. We abuse the things that God has given us. So if you take sex, for example, sex is, you know, almost a dirty word in some churches, but sex is a wonderful thing. Uh, God has given that to, to in the confines of marriage for, for, for the pleasure of the husband and wife and procreate children, obviously. But, but obviously sex, you see it abused, especially in our society, almost every society in the, the world today. But uh, that's the way the proud man uh, handles worldly pleasures. Why, is it, why does a proud man handle it different from a man of faith or a woman of faith? Because the, pr the proud man has no boundaries. He has no relationship with God. Uh, the just live by faith. They live by, by faith in God's word, faith in God's commandments, faith that in what God says is right and what God says is wrong. And, and we have to believe that when he says something's wrong, he's telling us that for our own good. And so the just shall live by faith. He says, indeed, because he transgresses by wine, he is a proud man. And he does not stay at home because he enlarges his desire as hell and he is like death and cannot be satisfied. He gathers himself all nations. I mean, there's no limit to a person who desires uh, silver. There's never going to be enough silver, Solomon said in Ecclesiastes. A person who desires power, there's never going to be enough power. They want to consume all the nations and heap for themselves all peoples. They want to heap up them for themselves all things. And so he says, uh, uh, they're never satisfied. They do not stay at home. I mean, people, you, you see it in our society. People are so enamored with pleasure that they're never at home. I mean, they always have to be somewhere. They have to be partying. They have to be drinking. They have to be shopping. They have to be going to sports events. None of those things, again, are necessarily bad in and of themselves. But if you're so enamored with pleasure that you, uh, you neglect your responsibilities to your family, to your wife, to your spouse, to, to your children, uh, to the Lord, then that you're, you're abusing or you're... You're uh, transgressing by those worldly pleasures. And so uh, a person who, who lives for pleasure can never find enough pleasure. They, they, they can't be satisfied. They're like hell. And, and it's kind of a scary side note he gives right here because he, he listen how he, he, he speaks of hell. Uh, he gathers to himself all nations and heaps up for himself all peoples. The grave and hell are never satisfied. Most of the people in this world throughout all the generations have ended up in the grave and all of them have ended up in the grave and most of them have ended up in, in Hades, which is what that, you can also translate that word that's translated here, hell, you can translate it Hades. And so we wanna be sure, we wanna look at this and be sure that we're not in that number. I mean, and that we're not the kind of people who live life strictly for worldly pleasure. You can call yourself a Christian, and if all you do is live for worldly pleasure, you're just like the proud. You're just like the lost. You're just like the wicked. We get the same warnings in the New Testament. Remember what Paul said in 1 Timothy. He said that 
men in the last days will become lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. And I, and I mean, I, we live in a society that everything is about, I mean, you watch a TV show and all of the commercials are about pleasure, about worldly pleasures. Again, those things aren't necessarily bad, but when that's thrown at you every minute of every day and that's all you, you, you get up in the morning and all you can think about, what kind of pleasures can I have today? And then again, you neglect your relationship with your family and with the Lord, then, then you're going the way of the proud. You're going the way of the wicked. Paul says over in uh, uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 10, he says, don't be like the Israelites who, who sat down to eat and drink and rose up to play. In other words, that's all they had on their mind. Again, there's nothing wrong with playing. There's nothing wrong with eating. There's nothing wrong with drinking. But that shouldn't be our top priority. And, and their God was their belly and, and uh, God rebukes them for that. All right, now, going on. Look, look, uh, look what this pleasure, this insatiable desire for pleasure. The, look at the problems it causes in verse number six. Beginning in verse number six, he says, will not all these take up a proverb against him, against the wicked, against the proud, and a taunting riddle against him and say, woe to him who increases what is not his. Now, let me tell you who he's going to go after here. He's going to go after those kind, of, those kind of people who buy things that they can't afford. They go in debt to get things that they can't afford, things that really aren't theirs. He might refer uh, also here to people who steal. But look at the last part of this verse. He says, how long? And to him who loads himself with many pledges, with many loans and with many, uh, in our modern day, you could say with many credit cards. Now, I got a lot of credit cards, but I pay my credit cards every month. I don't have credit card debt. And, I'm, and some of you might have credit card debt and that's not the end of the world. But woe to you at some point, I mean, if you've got credit card debt, it'll eat your lunch over time. And if we've got a lot of credit card debt, why do we have credit card debt? Because we bought things more than likely that we can't afford. Because really that's kind of a last resort when you start buying things with credit cards and you, because you've got this insatiable desire to have something that you, you really can't afford. And look at what it says in verse number seven. He says, will not your creditors rise up suddenly? Will they, not awaken who, uh, will they not awaken you who oppress you? And you will become their booty. This is a pretty uh, bleak scenario right there, or forecast for people who get too much in debt. Somebody that drowns himself in debt, uh, you can bank on it. When you stop paying those debts, you're going to start getting calls early in the morning. They're going to try to catch you before you go to work. And they're going to hound you and, and come after you uh, uh, and awaken you and oppress you. And uh, at some point, because of the interest rates that you see on these credit cards and, these, and some of these loans that people take out, at some point, uh, you, you're going to become slaves to that creditor. In other words, there's going to be so much of a monthly payment that uh, most of your disposable income is going to pay for something that you probably have already uh, used and it's already gone. That applies to nations too. It kind of worries you about the United States of America, the kind of, the kind of debt that we have. And at some point, that debt's got to be paid off and uh, you will become their booty, whoever you owe it to. We owe most of it to China. So 
So uh, uh, who knows? We might all be speaking Chinese here one day. Hope not, but uh, maybe Korean, the way things are going. That was a joke. All right. <laughs> Verse number eight. Because you have plundered many nations or many peoples, all the remnant of the peoples shall plunder you. Because of man's blood and the violence of the land and the city and all who dwell in it. What he's saying right there is what you sow is what you reap. I mean, you've plundered and you'll be plundered. You shed blood and your blood will be shed. That applies to individuals. That applies to nations. Uh, that applied to the nation of Israel. It applied to the Babylonians who would, who would judge the nation of Israel. And I'll tell you what, it applies to the United States of America. What we sow is eventually what we will reap. And so a lot of warning here for, for all of us as individuals and as a nation too. He says in verse number nine, Woe to him who covets evil game for his house, that he may set his nest on high, that he may be delivered from the power of disaster. Woe to those who use their ill-gotten gains in order to build fortresses or, or uh, shelters that they think will keep them from being destroyed in the storm, when the storm comes, when the judgment comes. It's not going to work. Uh, at some point, if God wants to knock your house down or your fortress down, he can knock it down. We were in, uh, we were in Germany last year, and, or really this year, and uh, uh, we were on the Rhine River, and on every hill you would see one of these fortresses, one of these castles from the Middle Ages. And we were told in one of the castles that we toured this was the only castle out of all those castles. I mean, I'm talking hundreds, maybe thousands of castles that you see. And you see most of the castles that you see, they don't have roads up to and they're nothing but ruins. Now, some of them they've restored and they built roads up to them and made tourist uh, attractions out of them. But there was just one castle, one castle where they, they said that survived that age without being destroyed at least once. One castle out of all of those. So... And, and they had some mighty fortresses up on top of those hills. And you wonder, how in the world could somebody get up there and destroy that castle? But uh, if God wants it destroyed, it, it's going to come down. And any nation that thinks they've built an impenetrable defense against uh, God's judgment, uh, they're, they're, they're very, very mistaken. Verse number 10, he says, You give shameful counsel to your house, cutting off many peoples. And in doing so, you sin against your own soul. You know, the proud man doesn't just bring himself down. He brings people around him down. Uh, he brings his family down because of this shameful counsel to his own house, this shameful witness to his own house. And, and you, you, you don't help anybody. You, you, you hurt all sorts of people, many peoples. But worse of all, you, you sin against your own soul, he says there. So you bring your own soul down to hell. He says in verse 11, beginning in verse 11, he says, For the stone will cry out from the wall, and the beam from the timbers will answer it. Woe to him who builds a town with bloodshed, who establishes a city by iniquity. He could be talking here to Babylon or to Israel, uh, or to individuals who had, who had built their homes through, through iniquity, through sin, through cheating people and stealing from people. Behold, is it not of the Lord of hosts, uh, Jehovah Sabiot, the Lord of the armies of heaven? 
that the peoples labor to feed the fire and nations weary themselves in vain? I mean, it doesn't matter how mighty your fortresses are or how big your army is or how tough big your house is or how tough you are. Uh, if you accumulate what you accumulate uh, by means of wickedness, and if you have a proud attitude towards God, everything that you're accumulating is nothing more than fodder for God's fire. One day it's, gonna all, it's all, all gonna burn. Uh, it's vanity, vanity of vanities, as Solomon says, when, when uh, you live in your, uh, as a proud man and, and not by faith in God. And then we get a break here. Thank goodness, here comes a break. He says, for God determined, I mean, he, God determined that the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. Look, God wants everybody, everybody to live for him. And one day, uh, it's, gonna take, it's gonna take the great tribulation to bring us to that point. And most of what we see out here is going to all be knocked down. It's going to be all uh, fodder for the fire. But one day the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. One day everybody's going to know the Lord and not, not, not out of a book or uh, not through some history lesson. We're going to know the Lord because the glory of the Lord is going to be present on this whole earth. I mean, the, 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 as the water covers the sea, uh, all, all his glory, the glory of God in Jesus Christ will, will, will cover this earth as, as uh, the water covers the sea. I mean, what a day that's going to be. And I was getting ready for Revelation chapter 1 the other day, and, and one of the things I noticed was that when Jesus Christ returns, it says that every eye will see him when he returns. When he's talking about every eye, he's not talking about every eye on the eastern side of the earth or the western side of the earth or every eye on top of the earth or every eye under the earth. He's talking about every eye. Every eye is going to see his, his coming because his glory is going to be uh, as the waters cover the sea. I mean, his glory is going to be so bright that we won't need the sun. That's how much glory we're going to see when we see the Lord. And so... Uh, what a, what a day, what a, what a break from, from judgment. What a glorious day that that will be. But now he's given us this breather. He goes back to these woes to the proud. Looking, looking in verse number 15, he says, Woe to him who gives drink to his neighbor, pressing him to your bottle, even to make him drink, that you may look, at, look on his nakedness. You know, he's... What he's saying here, what the Lord's saying to Habakkuk or really saying to these people through Habakkuk is that the worst kind of person is a person who isn't just satisfied, satisfied with being wicked himself. He wants others around him to be wicked. Uh, uh, he's not just intoxicated with pleasure himself. He wants everybody to be intoxicated uh, with pleasure. He wants to cause everybody to, to join him in his sin. And uh, he wants everybody, his neighbor, to be as proud and depraved as he is. You know, I love to go to the movies. There's nothing like going to the movie and getting a popcorn and a Coke 
but anymore, you're better off getting your popcorn and Coke at home because the movies have gotten so bad. And you got to wonder why, because I remember, you know, I remember when I was y'all's age, I remember going to the movies and, you know, most movies were pretty good and most movies were pretty clean and, and uh, you, you didn't worry about what you were going to see. But, but uh, people today that produce the movies, it seems like they have an agenda. They have an agenda that, that they want you to be as wicked as they are. You see, all of the, you hear all of this language in the films, and you wonder, you know, the film would be good if they take this language out, but they want, they want you to hear that because they want you to talk like that because that's the way they talk. There's some scenes that they put in there, some uh, immoral sex scenes that they put in some of these movies that they could take the movie out, and the movie would be a good movie. But they want that in there because they're engaged in immorality, and they want you to be immoral too because that uh, it, that makes everybody and that puts everybody in the same boat, and somehow that. Uh, makes everything right, but it doesn't make it right in the Lord's eyes. And so they're just as serious about spreading their wickedness as we should be about spreading the gospel. It's actually kind of sad that we don't take spreading the gospel near as serious as they take spreading their evil ways. And uh, it's permeated all of the media, really. I mean, from uh, the news to the to the movies to television there's just not much you can even books you know it's hard to find anything anymore unless you you get back to the Bible which is good so there's a good movie every once in a while but uh, uh, they're pretty bad for the most part in verse number 60 he says you are filled with shame instead of glory you also drink and be exposed as uncircumcised the cup of the Lord's right hand will be turned against you and utter shame shall be your glory. You know, I, I just hit on this a while ago, but most people in America, in the media and in, in politics and in business, uh, who, are, who we glorify in our, our culture are really shameful. When you really learn about these, these people, they're really shameful, and I'm not picking on them because except by the grace of God, I'd be a pretty shameful person myself. But we glorify their, the things that we should put to shame. And that's what's kind of scary about our society. We call good evil and evil good. And we don't just call it that. We've got beyond that. We actually see it that way. And so, but God says, hey, you know, in, in, you're filled with shame instead of glory. You might be glorified in the society in which you live, but I'm going to expose your shame. I'm going to expose the fact that you're uncircumcised, that you're lost, that you're wicked, that you're proud, that you're antichrist. And not only am I going to expose that fact, if you look at the last part of that verse, the cup of the Lord's right hand will be turned against you. Now that's not a good place to be. When the cup of God's wrath is full, his right hand is an expression of of his power and his might to judge the wicked. And so he says, uh, the cup of the Lord's right hand will be turned against you, you as an individual, you as a nation. And instead of being glorified, utter shame will be your glory. You know, there's coming a day. It's going to be a sad day for a lot of people when what's right is made right. 
and what's wrong is made wrong, when the Lord rules and reigns on this earth, there's going to be a lot of people that are going to be shamed. There's going to be a lot of people that are shamed at his coming. There's going to be a lot of people that are already shamed. There are a lot of people that are already shamed. They're in Hades and they realize that everything that they did was Antichrist and now they're paying the price for that. They're paying an eternal price for that. And, you know, we're made righteous by faith. We live by faith. We aren't made righteous by our, by our good works, but our faith produces good works and we're, we should be different from these people. And our glory is in our faith. Our glory is in the Lord. And, and, but one day the people that are, that are glorified in, the, in our society will one day uh, be judged and, and uh, hopefully they'll get saved before they get judged and utter shame will be their glory. And then he goes on in verse number 17. He says, for the violence done to Lebanon will cover you. And he's speaking specifically here now uh, of the Babylonians coming down upon Israel because he's saying what he's saying is, hey, don't think that they're going to stop in Lebanon. They're going to go past Lebanon into Israel. He says, the violence done to Lebanon will cover you and the plunder of the beast, which, which made them afraid because of man's blood and the violence uh, of the land and the city and of it who dwell in it. So he's pronouncing judgment on, on Israel, on the godless people in Israel. And, and now he finishes up and he addresses one more issue and maybe the most important issue relating to the proud, the people, and again, proud versus just. He, God put people into two categories when, in, in verse number four. He put people either you're proud or you're just. And the only way you can be just is to not be proud. Humble yourself in the sight of the Lord and he'll lift you up. God gives grace to the humble. Uh, and, and rebukes the proud. He judges the proud. And so uh, anyway, he, he's going to look at one other issue and, and uh, that marked the proud, and that is idolatry. And really, I believe idolatry is at the root of most sin. It's probably the most important issue. Everybody worships someone or something. Everybody does. And, and most people worship a God of their own making, a God of their own choosing. A lot of Christians do that. They worship Jesus, the Jesus that they, not the Jesus of the Bible, but the Jesus they create uh, with their own thought patterns, the Jesus that they want Jesus to be, the God of the New Testament, but not the God of the Old Testament. And so Jesus is the God of the Old Testament and the God of the New Testament, but they want Jesus to be just love, and I'm glad he's love. And I'm glad he's grace, but he's also righteous and holy, and he demands holiness. Without holiness, no one will see God, the Bible says. And the only way that we can be, 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 be made holy is by the blood of Jesus Christ. But that's why we have to humble ourselves and come to the Lord, and we're made just uh, by the justifier who is Jesus Christ our Lord. We're made righteous by him. So he's going to address this issue of idolatry here, beginning in uh, verse number 18. Worshiping anything else but Almighty God. And he's going to, the way he's going to approach this is to show the foolishness of worshiping idols. Listen to what he says. He says, what profit is the image that its maker should carve it? I mean, what kind of God has to be made? You know, that's the, that's the question he's raising there. 
the molded image, the teacher of lies. That maker of its mold should, should, that the maker of the mold should trust in it to make mute idols. To, woe to him who says to the wood, awake to silent stone, arise and it shall teach. Isn't that foolish? Isn't it foolish to worship idols? I mean, any kind of idol, it's, it's foolish to worship idols. That's what he's saying right here. I mean, idols can't speak. Idols can't hear. Idols don't have a soul. Behold, it is overlaid with gold and silver. I mean, you make it something really special. I mean, you go into these cathedrals in, 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 in the United States and in, in Europe, and they're overlaid with gold, and there's these idols overlaid with gold, and you see these beautiful uh, statues, and, and, you know, you almost say, wow, that's really, you know, that's kind of holy. That's kind of holy looking, but that's nothing more than, than gold and stone and wood. That's all it is, and that's what he's saying there. He says, woe to him who says, wood awake, to silent stone arise, I shall teach. Behold, it is overlaid with gold and silver, yet in it there is no breath at all. Woe to those who worship gods that have no soul, that can't hear, that can't speak. There's no, there can't be any profit in that. You know, I don't think there's anything that shows the frailty, uh, the stupidity, the naiveness of mankind more than idols do. The fact that we would worship something made of stone, that we would worship something of our own making. I mean, when I talk to somebody and they tell me, this is the God that I worship. And, and I gotta say, what kind of God is that that you can make up this God? I mean, what kind of God lets you make him into what you want him to be instead of uh, worshiping the God who uh, truly is the, the great I am. I mean, w w what kind of God do you have that you can dictate who he is and what he does and what is right and what is wrong in his eyes? What kind of God is that? That kind of God doesn't speak. That kind of God doesn't hear. That kind of God doesn't have a soul. That kind of God is nothing more than your uh, imagination. And even worse, I mean, these people you see even in, especially in our society that, that fall down and worship these, these relics, these, these stones, these images. And you, you got, it shows the stupidity of man. It shows the naivety of man. I mean, to, 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 uh, uh, to worship something that really can give them no help. And I believe the devil plays a hand in that because he, he, he maybe puts a glowing light on one of these things or or they make a wish and that wish comes true and the devil facilitates it coming true so he can you know, hook them into this idolatry and uh, they're, they're hooked for life. And so uh, we're pretty stupid people to, to, to give up the true and living God for idols. But here's the good news. Look at the last verse. Let's look how he closes. He says, but the Lord is in his holy temple. He's there no matter what you say about the Lord or who you say the Lord is. He is the great I am. He is who he is. We don't make him who he is. He's always been who he is. He is who he is now. He will always be who he is. He's the same yesterday, today, and tomorrow. And he's in his holy temple. And he's not going anywhere. No matter what we created image we create in our minds or what we decide we want to do with God or we want to remove him from our society. 
He's not going anywhere. He's still in his temple. He's still on his throne. And he sits in heaven and he laughs. Read Psalm chapter 2. He looks at mankind and they say, we're going to break the shackles. We're going to worship the gods. We choose to God to, to worship or to be God. And, and uh, he sits on his throne and he laughs because the Lord is in his holy temple. So he says, let all the earth keep silent before him. That's who we worship, the just. The just live by faith. The, and faith in the fact that God is in his holy temple. He's going nowhere. That he's the same yesterday, today, and tomorrow. And that his word is true. His word is righteous. His word is, is, is absolute. And there's no, there's no changing in God. There's no changing of his word. And so he says, let the earth keep silence before him. Now he's not saying we shouldn't go in our closets and pray to the Lord and speak to the Lord. But I'll tell you what, even then, I think it's a good thing sometimes to go to the Lord and, and just shut up. I don't do that very often myself, but, but, I, but I think it's a good thing. Just listen. Just listen. Just be there with the Lord. He's there. He's there. I mean, he's always there. We go, you, you go into your closet to pray and you put everything aside and you look for the Lord, you're going to find the Lord. You seek the Lord with all your heart, you're going to find him and you're going to, you're going to, you're going to hear him. You're going to hear him in your heart. You're going to, you're, and so it's a, it's a really good thing to be still and know that God is God. To keep silent, silent before him. And he, I think he means something else by that. What he was saying to Habakkuk, Habakkuk was questioning God and questioning the way he was doing things. Why he wasn't dealing with the Israelites, the wicked people in Israel. Why he was, why he was going to use the Babylons to deal with the wicked people in Israel. He says, Lord, I don't like either one of these things. And the Lord says, basically, Habakkuk, shut up. The just shall live by faith. The just shall live by faith. And he closes this by saying, let all the earth, including you, Habakkuk, keep silence before him. Don't question what I'm doing. I mean, Job questioned what he was doing. You read the book of Job and the, the whole book is about Job and his friends kind of, they were questioning Job and Job was kind of questioning the Lord. Job felt he was righteous and he didn't deserve what was happening to him. And, and when the Lord finally speaks after they've had their say, uh, the Lord puts Job in his place. And he, all the Lord has to do is appear because when, when the Lord appeared, Job repented in dust and ashes. And I guarantee you, if the Lord appeared in here right now, I'd shut up real quick too. And y'all, y'all would be glad. <laughs> That's why I stick to this word. That's why I teach this word. Because when, I, when we speak his word and we read his word and we listen to his word, we're listening to him, not some preacher. We're listening to what he has to say. And what a, what a blessing to be silent before the Lord. Just listen to him. Silence doesn't mean your mind's not working. It doesn't mean you're not listening. It doesn't mean you're not thinking. It doesn't mean you're not uh, worshiping. Silence is a really good thing because you're saying, Lord, you got this. You got this. I was at the doctor's office this morning in, in New Orleans and, and I was sitting there waiting to have an echocardiogram and 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 I said, I need to pray. And then I just, I just said, I, I, I had studied this passion. I said, you know, Lord, you got this. You got this. You know, I know you got it. Good place to be. 
Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, we just thank you for your word. We thank you for what you teach us. We, we thank you that we can trust you in every situation of our life. We can trust you with what's going on in this world, these threats that we hear, Lord. We trust you in, in uh, what's going on in our personal lives, Lord, whatever we've heard from the doctor, whatever we've, we've, uh, we've heard from maybe a family member that's causing us trouble or a friend that's causing us trouble or trouble in our business, Lord, whatever it is, Lord, we don't have to question what you're doing. We, we live by faith. Lord, we trust you. We trust that all things are working for our good uh, because we love you and we've been called according to your purpose. Lord, so help us to learn this lesson. Help us to keep silent before you. Solid in the sense, Lord, that we humble ourselves and trust you uh, to do good in every situation. Trust the fact that you're on your throne in heaven. Lord, we believe that, and we believe you're the same yesterday, today, and tomorrow. And we just thank you for that. In Christ's name I pray. Amen.